Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the importance of the Hebrew word Yatsar in forming creation. This message and previous messages are available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's pray as we get ready to start our lesson this morning. Father, please, this morning we come to you. We've made so many bad choices in our lives, Lord. We regret them deeply. We get them so much we don't want to take over anymore in our lives. We want you to take over so we don't make any bad choices. Help us this morning, Lord, through this lesson to yield control to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we are. Genesis 1. Please follow along here. We're going to look at some other aspects. We're again in Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now here, as we've been studying, in Genesis 1, we see God making decisions. He's making certain decisions here about light, and about darkness. Now, we, we could say, how does God come up with these, these, these ideas or these decisions to do this? Well, there's a, there's a very good verse that explains it to us. If you want to turn quickly to that, it's Jeremiah 10. And it's important for us to keep this in mind. This is answering the question. I was having a study with my friend, uh, Bible study this last week, and he said to me, why did God choose to do everything here on earth? And I said, well, okay, here we go. Genesis, uh, Jeremiah 10, verse 12. Here it says, he hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his discretion. It was by his discretion. That's what he did. Right there it says that. When he uttered his voice, there was a multitude of waters in the heavens and so forth. So what we are studying here in the first chapter of Genesis is God making the earth by his great power and he's doing everything by his discretion. That's the word venato, which means an understanding. And most of the time when it's translated in then the Old Testament is translated as the word understanding, but it's a special understanding. It's God's understanding as opposed to man's understanding. That's the word that God used when he said he gave to Solomon his wisdom, his tuvanato. When he took, and he took Bezalel, who was going to make the tabernacle, and he filled him with the spirit of tuvanato, his wisdom, his understanding. That's not the same word that's used in Proverbs 3, 5, then which says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. That's not that word. That's another word. That's a word mean. Now, in the creation, so in this creation, God is making decisions according to his choice, his understanding, his discretion, obviously. Like we've said before, and like has been said, if you don't like that, then you have to find another universe to live in. (laughs) Because it simply means that God makes the decisions alone. He consults with no one, and that's what he did. And so here, when we're looking at Genesis 1-1 and darkness, we have this in the beginning. Uh, God created the heaven and the earth. Then in verse 2, we have the first mention of darkness. That's that verse 2. In verse 3, we have the first mention of light. 
So that means that God must have created light and he must have created darkness. Did God create darkness? Yeah, he did. Don't you remember that verse? And we said it last time, Isaiah 45, 7, where he said, I form the light and create darkness. Isaiah 45, 7. He cre- that's the Yatsar verse. I form like a potter the light. And he said, I create darkness. That's the word bara. I create, create darkness. That's the first, that's the word that's used in Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God barad the heavens and the earth. That's bara. And so it says there in, in Isaiah 45, 7, he created the darkness. He created it. That's what it says. Can't argue about it. You may think differently, but that's what it says. So that's what he did. God created the darkness. Seems kind of like a problem to us a little bit. God created the darkness. You know, I don't know. I mean, um, Let's kind of think about that a little bit. Now, first of all, I want you to look at a couple of verses, okay? And the first one is in Revelation 21, 25. So take a look at 21, 25. And since you're going to be in that parking lot, also look at the next chapter, Revelation 22, 5, okay? So Revelation 21, 25, what's it say? It says, 21, 25, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by night, for there shall be no night there. That's 21.25. Now one chapter over, 22.5, Revelation 22.5, and it says, And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now, what six words appeared uh, in both those verses? There shall be no night there. So is there any darkness where God lives? No, no, there's no darkness where God lives. There's no darkness. Now, since in the same parking lot, turn over to Revelation 16.10. Revelation 16.10. And here it says, okay, Revelation 16.10. You got it? Okay. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. Is there any light where the devil lives? No. No. There's no light where God lives. Sorry. There's no darkness where God lives. There's no light where the devil lives. So if the devil lives in a place of utter darkness with no light there at all, and God lives in a place of light with no darkness there at all, why did God make the place we live in to be a place of both light and darkness? Is that a good question? Am I the only one who asked that question? He divided the light from the darkness. See? He makes the, the darkness he makes in verse 2. And then he, he makes the light in verse 3. Then he divides the light. You know, watch this now in verse 4. He divides the light from the darkness. And he made it in our, in our, in our, in our what? He made it in our lives. So there would be a time of light, as you were mentioning, which is called good. And there would be a time of darkness, which is called sleep. Right, as you said. Okay, good. (laughs) All right, something you're not supposed to do in this class. All right. So to see, now to see this, why did he do this? Because again, we're going back to his tuvenatu, his his discretion, his understanding. Why did he do this? We have to watch very carefully at a certain contrast given to us by Solomon, king of Israel. And turn to that in Proverbs chapter 9, if you would please. Proverbs 9. Now here, I want you to watch very carefully for Contrast. Contrast. 
Okay? Now, here we go. The, the, the Proverbs 9. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath furnished her table. Also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. I want you to really pay attention because I'm asking questions about this. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live. Go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth the scorner, get it to himself a shame. He that rebuketh the wicked man, get it to himself a blot. Right. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, he'll love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be yet wiser. Teach a just man. He will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shall bear it. Now here comes the contrast. You ready? Verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth not understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depth of hell. All right? So, the right hand, this is my right hand. This is your left hand. But you call this right because I can't figure out that that's your left. So, this is right, okay? <laughs> this is left, okay? So, on the right hand, we, so right hand and left hand, we have two women, right? Okay, so on the one side here, the right hand, what is the name of the first woman in Proverbs 8 uh, in, in, in this? Uh, wisdom. Okay, that's it. Wisdom. Okay. Now, keep in mind that 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. So God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made unto us wisdom, also righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So we want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is our person right over here. Everything that we see Miss Wisdom do, that's what we got to do. All right, now, the next one, the name of the second woman is Foolish. This is Miss Foolish Woman. There she is, Miss Foolish Woman. So now we see, we got Miss Wisdom here. We got Miss Foolish Wisdom over here. A foolish woman. Okay, now in Proverbs 9 1 and in Proverbs 9 13, okay, 9 1 13, Proverbs 9, verse 1, verse 13. What did Miss Wisdom do and, and what did Miss Wisdom not do? They build. Okay, see, you see that? Miss Wisdom is building. She's building, right? But you don't see that about Miss Foolish Woman. Why not? Why? Because John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. See? Break down, break down, break down. Then he says, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. So what do we do in life? We want to be like Miss Wisdom. We build relationships with the lost. We study the Bible with them. We talk to them. Why? So that we can build them to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Build them up. All right, next question. Proverbs, okay, again, chapter 9. Let's look at verse 3 and 15. And what activity is Miss Wisdom doing? And what activity is Miss Foolish Woman doing? Miss Wisdom is crying, right? Crying out, right? And what's Miss Foolish Woman doing? Calling. She's calling also, okay? She's calling. 
So, Miss Wisdom's crying out. So, therefore, what do we do? We go after the lost. We go after the lost. We cry to them, don't die. Why will you die? The voice of God is calling. Why will you die? Re-echo in his name. But we say, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get a little passionate about it all because we see the hell that's in front of them and the heaven that can be all theirs if they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a little something to get passionate about. Now look at, uh, at now I want you to turn a chapter back and look for Miss Wisdom. She's in verses 2 and 3, chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, Proverbs 8, 2 and 3, all right? And also look at Proverbs 9, 3, just to make it confusing. And uh, so that's Miss Wisdom. And then you look at verse 14, 9, 14, Proverbs 9, 14 for Miss Foolish Woman. Where can Miss Wisdom be found and where can Miss Foolish Woman be found? Miss Wisdom can be found on top of the high hill or high places. Where else? By the way of the places, the paths, the gates of the city. Where else? Entry of the city, coming in at the doors, the highest places. She's everywhere. She's an active lady. You don't get away from Miss Wisdom. She's everywhere. She's, all, she's in the hot, top of the high places. She's by the way of the paths. She's at the gates. She's at the entry of the city. She's in the coming in of the doors. She's in the highest places of the city. She is everywhere. This is one active woman. Now, Miss Foolish Woman, where is she at? She's in the door of her house. She's sort of crouched down like the trapdoor spider, waiting for someone to just walk by. See, she's not so visible. Miss Wisdom, she's everywhere. She, you see her everywhere. Miss Foolish Woman, you don't see her so well. So what's that tell us? We're not cave dwellers. We don't, we don't, we, we, we're, not in, we're not in church and just have uh, with Christians all the time, but we go, we go where the lost are. We go to find them in our realms of life, right? We engage them. We engage them and we, 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 so that they'll hear us when we cry to them. Okay, now Proverbs 8, 2, chapter 4, sorry, verse 2, you're going to look at that. Proverbs 9.14, those are the two verses. 8.2, 9.14, is the position of Miss Wisdom and the position of Miss Foolish Woman? Miss Wisdom, she's standing. That doesn't surprise us. She's all over the place. She has to be standing. So she's standing, and she's really got an urgent message. I have a message from the Lord, hallelujah, a message unto you I bring. See, this is Mrs. Wis- Miss Wisdom. She's standing. On the other hand, Miss Foolish is like, She's sitting, you know. She's like the trapdoor spider. She's sitting, and she's like, you know, let's not, why sweat it, you know. Anyway, so therefore, we don't sit as believers and as, as, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't sit. We don't just wait for someone to come and ask us why we seem different. Some of us can seem more different than others, so there'd be a lot of questions like that. <laughs> but... We, we don't do that. We don't wait for someone just to, a lost person just to walk into church, you know, like the fishermen. We don't walk, wait for the fish to jump in the boat. You know, we, we go after them. We are standing. We are actively seeking. That's a great exhortation and encouraging message today about going and actively seeking the lost. Now, we may have some listeners out there today, Tom, that are asking the question, how? How do I go after the lost? That is such an important question. And there have been seminars which have been made of 
of uh, 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 which say that which which are so uh, dramatic that the titles have the word explosion within them, and they all really deal with this one question: How do I do this? The Bible is very clear on this. The first step in going after the lost and being faithful to God to with regard to our dealing with the lost, is first of all recognizing what does it mean to be lost. You know, there's nothing wrong with the term unsaved or unbeliever, but the Bible doesn't use those terms. The Bible uses the term lost, and lost is a very, very different word from uh, unsaved. Lost brings about it the term, the, the, the sense of a deep hollowness in the heart. There's a, when you say the term lost, the, the, what should come after that is, oh, no, lost, lost. You know, it's a very, very, very uh, terrible uh, feeling like falling off the deck of a cruise ship and watching the ship uh, go away or 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 going out into a forest and losing your way lost that's the term that god uses for those who do not have friendship with him he calls them lost they're not just uh they they're not just they don't have friendship alone but they're lost they're aliens from god so letting that term deeply sink in what does it mean to be lost, to be in darkness, to be far, far from God, to be separated from God? Letting the concept of God's word lost sink into the soul is the first step to going after the lost. The second step is to seek the lost, to identify who is the lost within my life, to instantly identify when we meet somebody in our lives, oh, this is a lost person, to identify them, to become, so to speak, lost conscious, lost sensitive, to have a little alert inside of us that goes off as a, that's a lost person. In other words, not to overlook them, not to say, ah, that's the man who takes my dry cleaning. No, that's a lost person. Oh, that, 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 that's the person that I play tennis with. No, that's a lost person to become sensitive to the lost, to who the lost are. And next, it's getting God's heart for the lost. God alone is the most qualified to tell us what is the problem with the lost. And he says the problem is great. The problem is torment from God eternally. The problem is dying within sins. The problem is God's words are perish, destruction, alienated from God, darkness. These are terms of great, great problems. And so God says, and so the first step is to, or sorry, the third step is to get God's heart for the lost, like Paul did. 
when he said he was so burdened for his Jewish people that he said he wished that he could become accursed from Christ. In other words, he felt so bad. It was a continual heartache with him. It was something that would not go away that he said, you know what, I'll make the great exchange. I'll step out of heaven and I'll step into hell if it means that they could step into heaven. That's getting God's heart for the lost. The next step after that is to pray for the lost, to pray for them, to pray for them, to completely cast away this notion that God has somehow predetermined and predestined who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. That's not God. That's not in the Bible. And you cannot pray for the, God, for, for the lost if you keep that. Throw that away. And pray for the lost on your knees. Call out to God for this lost person to be saved. How should you pray? Very simple prayer. Oh, God, save that person. That's the prayer. Then have a life that is honest before God and before them. If you have a life of sin, you're only going to invalidate whatever you say about how to be saved. And then, very, very important, faithfully tell the lost clearly God's message for the lost. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's God's message for the lost. Repent of your sins. Uh, repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's clear message for the lost. God's message for the lost is not your life. God's message for the lost is not my life. It is the black and white of what the Bible says. Your life can invalidate the message, but your life is not the message. Your, your, your job is not to live such a life and wait for those to come and ask you a reason for the hope that lies within you. That's not the job of the evangelist. That's not the job of how to go after the lost. The job of going after the lost is to faithfully tell them clearly God's message, which is the black and white of the Bible. And your message is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You talk to the lost about God, and you talk to God about the lost. When you talk to the lost about God, you are telling them the black and white of what the Bible says. The Bible says that unless you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that you uh, will be not rescued from the middle of the road that you're on now to hell. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved from hell. You will be ransomed. You will be redeemed. That's the black and white of what the Bible says. Very, very clear. This matter is so serious that God made it so clear. Paul said, seeing we have such hope, we speak plainly very plainly. And it is a disservice to make the gospel anything but clear. 
It's very important that when we speak to the lost, that we speak very, very clearly. This is the way to be saved. Tell God you're a sinner, confess to him your sins, and call on his name to be saved. Believe God that he came in the flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to die for your sins, and that he rose the third day, and that all you have to do is be like Abraham and believe what God said, and he will count it to you for righteousness. That's telling the lost the clear black and white of what the Bible says. And then it's also so important, so vitally important to talk to God about the lost, to go into the closet, to shut the door and say, oh God, my heart is broken for Jack. Please save Jack. Oh God, my heart is broken for Sarah. Please save Sarah. That's being faithful to God. Be faithful to God to tell the lost about God. Be faithful to God to talk to God about the lost with one simple prayer. Oh God, please save this person from their sins. We do not have to tell God how to save them, but we are called upon to cry unto him for the lost while there's opportunity for them to be saved. As long as there's breath within the lungs, there's opportunity to be saved. To be saved is very simply to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A prayer might be something like this, O Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I hate my sin. I believe that you, as the Lamb of God, took all my sins upon you. You died for my sins. I receive you now as my Savior. It's just that simple, friend. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as Tom Cantor continues his study of Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent to them? You can contact us directly by phone and we can help you to do that. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. We also have resources and supplies as well as a CD copy of today's broadcast available, but we always make it available free at our website, friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you'll find many resources to help you build your friendship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us again tomorrow as we continue in Genesis.